welcome to the Fat Tail Investment Podcast. I'm Callum Newman. Got a really big episode for you today. We've got uh, James Allen coming on, who is our, uh, he runs the new energy investor service for us here at Fat Tail Investment Research. Now, James is based over in the UK and he covers renewable energy, lithium, all the battery metals, etc. But uh, one thing I was going to ask about is carbon credits, which has turned into an investable asset class. And I was reading about a fund manager the other day who's got something like a 60% return over the last year from trade, buying and holding these carbon credits. So I wanted to find out about that. And, and James will give us the lay of the land of what's happening in well, both there and in the renewable sector in general, because it is going to be a big trend, decarbonisation for the next 20 years. So it's not something that we can really ignore. And the profit potential uh, in lithium stocks over the last couple of years has been enormous, but there's lots of other things going on as well. But first, I want to bring to your attention a couple of stories that I saw uh, that are worth watching for on the market. And this is from the Australian newspaper, and it's about television advertising, uh, saying that, and I quote here, television networks reveled in double-digit growth in their advertising revenue last year with catch-up viewing services yielding the biggest increases. Um, so that suggests to me a couple of things. One is that advertising has come back in a big way. So clearly those guys think that consumers are willing to spend and, and are confident to spend. So that would tie in with the what we know about the increased savings through because of COVID and with house prices on the rise, that generally kicks spending along as well. So interestingly, whenever you see a news story, <clears throat> my old mentor used to tell me, go and uh, compare it to the stocks on the market. So there's a couple of advertising TV stocks that you can look at. One's Seven West Media, which is Channel 7. One's Channel 9, which is pretty obvious. Um, and then there's another one called Ooh Media, which does outdoor advertising. So there's three stocks you can follow. And um, another good stress test that we've had, the market's been spanked lately. So those three have largely sailed through so far okay. Obviously, the volatility came in, so they did get sold down. But I know with uh, Seven West, that was actually a free uh, trade I gave away with my presentation in December. It's, um, it's still up 20% thereabouts uh, since that. Date. So that tells me that the market bought the dip. Uh, so even when it sold down a bit, the fund managers presumably stepped in to buy it. And that story in the Australian about the strength of the advertising market would suggest they have very good reason to do so. So keep an eye on those three stocks. They'll all be releasing their earnings announcements in the next couple of weeks. Now, on to our second story. And this ties in a little bit with why we get James on. Now, this one is about industrial rents, and uh, it's in the Australian Financial Review, and it says industrial rents will soar by up to 50% over the next five years due to dramatic mismatch between supply and demand, blah, 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 blah. We don't need to know about that. This is why I wanted to bring it to your attention. Basically, this industrial land is, is going up in the inner cities because of the e-commerce trend. So companies need to have their stock nearby to get it to you as fast as they can. So that's the the competitive pressure. So the reason I bring that up is because um, the analyst here says that the, the rising rents, and I quote, won't be an issue for e-commerce users who can defray the higher rents through cheaper fuel costs and faster delivery times. She goes on to say only about 10% of their overall cost is rent, 
while about 50% of their cost is transport, end quote there. So what does this have to do with renewable energy and James coming up? Well, the existing transport system, which is their highest cost, is obviously based on uh, oil and fossil fuels. So oil is very expensive at the moment. It's $90 a barrel US. It's even more expensive for Australians. Um, now, what does that mean? So as the electric vehicle trend plays out, that's going to cut out the oil business from the transport sector. What will eventually happen is we will have electric cars that are fired by batteries, which are in turn fired by solar energy. Now, I saw some stats recently that solar in the US is about at least half the cost of coal-fired generation uh, over there. So simple economics says solar is coming to wipe out the fossil fuel industry and that eventually everything we do will be off batteries. So that says to me that over the long term, uh, rents in the property sector, in this industrial sector, can actually keep rising if those costs do come down. So if we do see um, delivery companies, logistics companies, um, this last mile trend switch over to electric vehicles and they run it off uh, cheap solar, they'll be able to afford higher rents again. So that's just one way um, that the property cycle can keep going, which not many people would see. Now, look, it could be that I'm not right about that and, and that thing doesn't come out. But if it does happen, that will allow those businesses to pay higher rents, which will in turn drive up property values uh, in those affected areas uh, as we go along. So keep watching out. Anything that cut costs uh, in the economy will drive up uh, land, land values wherever that can happen. So obviously solar is a trend that James uh, is part of what he follows. So again, we got him on to talk about what's happening on what in the renewable energy sector and carbon trading, carbon credits, and the view from Europe where he's based and what's happening around the world. So here's James. Around the world, renewable energy use is on the rise. And these alternative energy sources could hold the key to combating climate change. While renewable energy presents some challenges, it also offers an environmentally friendly alternative to the greenhouse gas emissions and pollution of fossil fuels. And as advances in technology make renewable energy more accessible, affordable, and efficient, an end to climate change could be within our reach. All right, we're discussing today one of the biggest trends in possibly market history. That's at least the, uh, the view of one fund, fund manager I read about uh, recently where he talked about uh, decarbonization being bigger than the internet. Uh, so in lieu of that, I thought I'd get on now uh, new energy guru, James Allen over in the UK. How are you going, buddy? I'm very well, thank you, mate. How are you? I'm good. Now, I'm trying to remember the last time we spoke, which I think was back in 2020, that we that we certainly launched a new energy investor here in Australia, I think. That's right. Just before we jump into the topic, how did you begin to specialise in uh, the new energy space? Uh, so I'm a um, former journalist in uh, energy markets. I was doing that for many years Um I then, uh, after sort of heading up like an, a, a desk in London, I was then sent out to America to start a, sort of a, a New York bureau, sort of covering 
the wider energy markets, um, shell gas and things like that, which was uh, you know, um, kicking off, I suppose, in America at the time. And you know, more and more sort of the renewables were coming into conversation. They were driving prices, so I was becoming increasingly interested in what was going on in the renewable space. Uh, and um, I then got sort of um, tapped up by um, the South Bank Investment Research guys to come and set up a, a newsletter focused on uh, renewable energy in Europe, where basically that was sort of um, leading the charge in terms of uh, decarbonisation in the world really at that time um, for some of the factors we might talk about today in terms of um, uh, offshore winds, solar, and specifically the European um, carbon market, which was um, uh, in full force at that point. So I, I set up a, a um, lots of opportunities were, were, were becoming obvious in that market at that time. So uh, we launched the newsletter a few years ago and uh, it's been a bit of a roller coaster since then. We had a, a, um, a, a phenomenal year in 2020 um, when the, really the markets really woke up to the opportunity at hand and what we needed to do to reach our overarching um, net zero targets. Um, and then there's been a bit of a profit taking this year. Um, I say last year, I should say. Um, and uh, it's been a you know as, as we know the, the growth growth side of the market has um, had a bit of a hit so far with this this year so far with uh, expectations of rising interest rates as well. So uh, I think um, um, you know the macro um, situation hasn't helped so far this year, but I think actually fundamentally the market is in uh, incredibly good shape. We're seeing uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, lots of new projects come online, uh, re- re- renewable forecasts set to smash the smash it out, out of the ballpark this year. So fundamentally the market is in very good shape. Well it's funny you mentioned 2020. I know from personal experience here in Australia, the, the if there was one spot you wanted to be since 2020 it was lithium space. Some of the gains have been astronomical there. That's right. Um and just the, in terms of opportunity, that just doesn't come along that often. Um, but you mentioned in their carbon credits, and this is why I reached out to you, because this is not an area that I understand particularly well. I know because, like, I'm an Aussie, right? So, say, 10 years ago, maybe a bit more, one of the governments tried to introduce a carbon tax and this kind of thing, and then it, it got shut down. And, and But then I started seeing stories like this. So I've got this little one here just from this morning. And it says the headline yeah. is carbon credit lifts Tribeca investment partners fund a 60% return in three months. And it's to do with the surging price of carbon credits. Now, I don't know, is this more of a European thing, an American thing, a world thing? Can you tell us about carbon credits? Of course, yeah. Well, there's no global, global uh, price on carbon. Um, and Europe, but Europe has the, the main European, the main carbon market. There's some other uh, ones in America, uh, China as well, is trying to kick off its own carbon market. But the, 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 the main uh, carbon market is the one in Europe, which was set up um, over a decade ago now. And it's a cap and trade system. So uh, it effectively puts a, a price on carbon emissions from around uh, 10,000 uh, power plants and industrial um, uh, installations. And um, it's administered and regulated by the European Commission. So that they set a cap on uh, emissions each year. Uh, and the, the European Commission does that by uh, issuing a certain amount, a limited amount of uh, European Union allowances, EUAs every single year. And then basically allowances are either handed out for, for free of charge to certain industrial companies and installations that are eligible at the start of the year, or they're auctioned off every single day. So at that point, companies can buy or sell um, uh, physical EUAs for, for immediate delivery, or they could then trade the futures for delivery any time up to sort of six years ahead. So basically there's a real market. It's a paper market, but... Uh, um, so when you say that they, they, they're auctioning it, they, 
as in a company, like an oil company goes, right, we're emitting X amount of carbon, we need to offset it by buying these credits. Basically, exactly right. So um, there'll be a cap on, emission, a cap on emissions. Now, um, a, a company, a power plant, um, if it's forecast or if it, if it thinks its um, emissions are going to be higher than that amount, it will then need to go into the market and buy uh, extra allowances to meet that extra demand, essentially. Likewise, there might be other installations or factories, uh, power plants that uh, aren't going to em- emit up to their allowance. Uh, so therefore, it will be long allowances and therefore uh, it will um, look to sell its um, uh, um, permits. So Which you, I, know, you I think Tesla sells its credits, supply. doesn't it, in the US? Yeah, that's a different type of market. They they have a sort of a um, a different market in the, in the US, but they at that point at one point they were long um, long their carbon and they generated a lot of their uh, early um, early income from carbon credits at the beginning. Exactly right. Yeah, in, in Europe the the the, 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 the main um, um, uh, companies installations it's factories. It's um, industry and it's power plants. It's coal plants, gas plants. Uh, they're all heavy polluting, um, you know, uh, power plants. Basically, they're, they're the people in the market. But we're getting other sectors coming into the market. We're, get, we're getting maritime. We're getting shipping who are coming in, uh, and there's other sort of sectors coming into the market. So the market's actually getting bigger, which means demand is getting bigger, uh, and the price therefore should go up. So that all makes sense in terms of environmental regulation and I get that. But then the way that this fund manager is talking, he's using it as a f- way to make money. Um, is that something that you've explored for your readers? Oh, well, completely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. For, um, you know, new energy investor, we've um, hopped back onto the, um, uh, there's an ETS, uh, which, which tracks the price of um, European um, carbon. Likewise, the, 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 the UK used SO1. We, we actually got in a bit earlier. Uh, because this, the, that product was launched a bit earlier, we got in. I think when that price was around about seven or eight um, euros, um, and just today it's just just shy of ninety um, euros um, per ton. So it's had a phenomenal one um, over the last few years. Um, but I think there's lots more to come. But it's been up and down. We had obviously when the um, sort of COVID hit and factories were sort of shut down, and um, you know coal, you know. Demand for energy was less, so there was much less sort of uh, uh, emissions basically at that particular moment in time. So the, so the demand of carbon um, shrunk. So um, uh, there was a bit of a surplus in the market, so prices came off. But actually, since um, lockdown has been sort of eased in Europe, prices have been on a real tear basically. And they, yeah, yeah, they've um, they just got shy of 100 euros last year. They, they um, just above 90, I think they hit, and they're, they're just shy of 90 now. So I think, I mean, lots of people like myself are predicting three figure carbon uh, pretty soon, really. I think the, the trend really is going one way. There's not many risk factors which suggest prices could come off. There are, I mean, there are a few that's profit taking, but essentially um, the, the market is getting bigger, demand is getting stronger. And right now, even at near record record high prices it's not still doing the job that it's designed to do which is really cut emissions um, you, you, you've got you've seen um this year with um um you know high gas prices basically so carbon has gone up, gone up in sympathy with gas prices but still you've that's that's also you've actually had coal um it was meant to, to, to the whole point of carbon in, in the power sector is meant to um disincentivize the running of coal power but actually um, it hasn't done that because that coal has still been needed on the grid because we've been so um, short of um, uh, uh, available power. So actually, the price of carbon actually really should go higher to take off that coal off the grid. Um, so you know, I, I really do think um, 
at some point soon we'll um, we'll go into a different paradigm. I think uh, way above 100 euros. Just to touch on that point there, because the critics of renewable energy go, oh, well, look, the sun doesn't shine all the time and the wind doesn't blow. Therefore, you end up short on the grid. You have to have coal and gas as backup. How do you view that debate? Um, I think right now, yes, yes, there's a, there has been a job certainly for um, um, those fuels, certainly in Europe. I mean, um, but uh, that really is a function of not actually investing more into uh, battery storage and other forms of energy storage over the last few years. I think as, as we move forward, I think um, certainly Europe is trying to uh, invest more into battery storage, more into long-form duration storage, which doesn't have to be sort of lithium iron, um, really to um, cut the use of gas and coal off the grid, whereas you know, they, they've been there to help, certainly gas has been there to help balance uh, the grid at times when um, we, you know, we've been um, short of intermittent renewable energy. But as we move forward, there's much more investment going into battery storage, energy, energy storage. So therefore, hopefully, we will become less reliant on, on gas. But we're seeing right now, I mean, um, energy prices are, are sky high in Europe. And that's, that's because of you know, Russia politicising um, uh, their gas supplies in, into Europe. Um, they've, they've cut supplies, and that's a fact. Um, and we've seen the whole energy price environment rocket. So the, the less we can sort of rely on, on fossil fuel, uh, natural gas in Europe, the better. It's interesting. Um, I saw a stat come out from our colleagues over in the US, and they said, at least in America, to use a coal plant to generate electricity costs between $65 and $150 uh, per megawatt hour. And uh, to build a solar or wind plant is less than $30. I mean, simple economics says that they're going to get wiped out. I don't, do you have a timeline before that happens? Um, it's, hard to give a, it's hard to give a timeline. I mean, certainly um, there's no real economic case to build new, um, new coal anywhere, really. Um, what we're finding is we're, we're, we've still got a lot of incumbent coal on the grid, um, still in Europe, um, obviously a lot still in, in the States. Uh, there'll come a point where it, it becomes cheaper to build uh, new renewable, renewable plants than actually run um, incumbent existing coal-fired power. We're not quite there yet, but that day is coming for sure. Um, certainly with you know, high, high carbon price environments. And that brings, brings forward that date when that happens, basically, because it's you know these coal-fired power plants with 100 euro carbon, uh, they're very hard to make a make a profit, basically. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were talking about the carbon credits before, like, <laughs> okay, if you're long carbon credits, you're making money or whatever, but if you've got to pay those or factor them in, it's prohibitive to. Uh, it gets cost. very expensive, exactly. And if you don't meet, you know, if if, if you don't meet your um, um, allowed amount of emissions, basically, if you if you don't have if you haven't bought enough um, carbon permits to offset your emissions, your your effectively shorts in the regulated markets, you then you then face a penalty of 110 euros per ton, uh, which is comes out every sort of April. So therefore, that price really should at least hit that 110 euros because the market is essentially short. So yeah, it's a very very expensive game for for these you know uh, factories um, for coal fired power in Europe certainly um, to to be running coal at the moment. One of the issues when you so clearly Europe is taking the lead on this, but in a sense they're making their companies less competitive. If the right. other countries like China go, well, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I mean, the the so one thing I've seen from the steel industry is Europe saying, well. We're doing this, therefore, if you export to us using 
coal energy, we will tax you. We will put a tariff on you because we will not disadvantage our homegrown uh, companies. Like kind of like we're doing the right thing. If you don't, you you don't sell to us. Is that happening? I mean, I saw it in the steel uh, sector. Is that elsewhere as well? Is that the general? That's happening. In, that's about that's um, that's happening in Europe. There's legislation to, for that to happen soon in Europe, uh, also in potentially in the UK as well. Because the UK now since Brexit has its own. Um, uh, European trading system, sorry, European um, uh, carbon trading system as well. So uh, that is that is certainly happening. Obviously, there's been lots of pushback uh, from industry, from uh, manufacturers who don't want this at all. They don't want uh, they they want a sort of a level playing field. Um, but essentially, this is there to this is this is there to protect them. So that is that is certainly happening. Um, but it is until we have a, a global carbon price with everyone playing by the same rules, then we're going to get this, unfortunately. And I mean, do you see positive trends happening in that regard? There's been talk of, of a global carbon price uh, for many, many years, but um, it's just uh, there's political will for it in certain quarters, um, certainly in Europe. Um, I mean, there's still not a standardised US carbon price. They have a, 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 a system in California, they have a system on the East Coast, and nothing really in the middle at the moment. There's a small market in Canada, um, but at, at the moment, there's no real political will in the US to standardise there. Um, carbon markets. Um, so until that really happens, I can't really seek any form of consensus for for the rest of the world. I mean, Australia. I mean, you were you were a leader in some ways in that for a, a carbon price, um, a carbon market a decade or so ago. But that conversation has really sort of drifted off now. I think it's um, it became sort of politically toxic in in, in Australia mm. as far as I as far as I remember. So I, I can't see it's been it's it's one of those things. It's often talked about having a global carbon carbon price, but really I can't see that happening for the time being. Well, it's I think I think I think we'll get certain, we'll get certain you know you know you might get the European market uh, having some form of deal with um, Switzerland say or China say in time where then you know they'll start to have some form of relationship um, and maybe that'll be tacked on with the um, with the California markets but for a whole a carbon price for the whole of the world I think that's that's looking unlikely at the moment but you'll certainly get a, a beefed up um, a regional based sort of carbon markets uh, pop, popping up. Well, anybody out here in Australia who's listening to this or, or watching it will want to know about the battery metals. As I alluded to earlier, lithium stocks have gone absolutely bananas out here over the last two years. <clears throat> There's always the chatter about manganese, nickel, cobalt, <laughs> even rare earths, uh, et cetera. Do you follow the mining space with that in mind or do you play this sector in different ways? No, no, I look at the, the, the mining sector as well. I mean, it's obviously um, 2021, you had a lot of the sort of uh, clean tech companies, a lot of the you know, solar companies, uh, wind companies. They'd had such a good year um, in 2020, they sort of came off a little bit. The, the, the companies that did well were actually the battery metal companies, the lithium stocks, the uh, nickel stocks, cobalt. Graphite now is starting to pop as well. Um, so some of those graphite companies look really very interesting as well. But I, mean, I think there's just a, there's an overarching shortage of of material uh, compared to some some of the, these demand forecasts for you know, electric vehicles. So I think that's a really good way to play to play the, the energy transition. Looking at some of these metals, and obviously Australia is, is blessed with many opportunities to play that market. So, I mean, lithium is a is a phenomenal play. The lithium price is at a record high record high right now but um i still think there's a there's a way to go we've got such a, a, a bottleneck coming down the pipe with um compared to supply i think it takes a long time for lithium mines to get up and running um you know there's a there's a real shortage of sort of battery uh, a battery grade uh, lithium um and i think that's a really good way to play it i think um i think that that trend is going to carry on there, there is a paradox here though that 
at least as I understand it, the, the key to getting electric cars on the road is bringing the cost of the battery down. The more and more, yeah. the, as you say, if these bottlenecks are real, that the prices of the commodity, the inputs go up, but the harder it is for them to do that. Um, yeah, exactly. This is this is one of the risks of you know in the, in the energy transition. I guess I think over the last sort of decade or longer, we've we've everyone's come to expect falling prices, and then they you know that's that's what has happened. We've I think battery prices battery have fallen eighty percent over the last decade. Uh, I've had similar falls in solar, similar falls in wind. Uh, but certainly, in terms of the battery space, I think um, that the rising the, the rising price environment for uh, the, the core minerals, I think that does pose a bit of a risk. That's why we're seeing lots of these um, auto manufacturers, so these car manufacturers, they are looking to shore up their supply now before it gets too late, before this um, that the lithium price really goes to sort of um, you know unreachable targets essentially. So uh, that's why we're seeing a real scramble right now. You know, Tesla just announced a resort uh, a deal with the graphite. Uh, stock out in you know graphite company um, in Aust- an Australian based graphite company. That was Sierra, uh, wasn't was, it? Sierra recently. That's Sierra, exactly. That's right. Yeah. So there's lots of things happening in the graph in the graphite space as well, um, and you know that, that's replicated really across the um, the battery metal supply chain. I think uh, uh, lots of car manufacturers really have got work to do really to shore up their supply, knowing that prices could well continue to rise. Talking about battery metals, like to me that is. It's genuine, but it's also very, you know, it's an obvious kind of idea now. Like, it, as we said, we've had a big run and we know the interest is really huge. Is there somewhere in the renewable space that you think people aren't watching that might be intriguing at all? Yeah, I would say graphite for me actually is the one that's been, it's been, um, um, it's been not, not been so much talked about. Everyone's talked about sort of lithium, obviously, um, cobalt, nickel. Lith- um, graphite has been quietly, um, get, getting on with it, and actually the price hasn't didn't do much last year, but now it's just starting to sort of bubble away. And you're, you're seeing these deals like Tesla, um, and there's now a bit more focus coming on graphite. And I think graphite, the graphite space is really hot, could potentially really hot up. I think that's a, a really key area. I think that would be a, a a good way for investors uh, you know, to, to play to play this trend. I think I think that's uh, going to be the next market to really pop. Um, yeah, seeing just, lots of new deals in the space. Is graphite? Uh, with the batteries, you read about the what is it? The anode and the cathode. Is anode and cathode. So it's the, it's the, exactly it's the, so it's the negative part. It's the it's the anode. Um, so it's, I think it's um, um, the vast majority of the anode material is made up of of graphite. And even though on the cathode side, there's lots of conversation about changing the composition of the cathode. Um, you know, nickel, cobalt, everything's sort of changing. Actually, on the anode side of things, graphite set to be dominant. It's it's dominant right now. It's set to be dominant for the next few decades really uh, there's not many sort of alternatives um so that's a really good way to play it really if, you know cobalt on the on the cathode for example people think cobalt is going to be reduced in the, on the cathode side of the chemistry but in terms of the anode side i think um you haven't got many other choices apart from from graphite right now so um you know lots of the material is also sourced in in china um and that has its own sort of supply chain issues as well um so i think um there's lots of demand for non-Chinese um, um, production, basically. So some of these, I know Sira had this um, had a production out in Mozambique. Um, there's some others um, in Australia. There's some in um, in Canada, North America. I think they're and in Europe as well. They're very good ways to play this to play this market. Um, I think looking at sort of non-Chinese based um, graphite supply. I think that's a very very good way to play it. One thing I've noticed with your newsletter, obviously, you, you've got a world market, so it's a world opportunity, but that, of course, means you've got to go all over the world. To So you've, as far as I know, you've got, you look at stocks in the UK, in the US, in Australia. 
uh, probably in the EU as well. I mean, is there one particular area that you think is stronger for this kind of uh, themes and ideas, markets? Um, it, it, there's certain exchanges which um, sort of attracts a lot of um, clean tech capital and clean tech um, stocks. And I, I would say that the predominant ones actually are um, um, in Canada, um, UK, some of the you know the European markets like Norway and France aren't bad. I th- I'd say there are some of the and obviously and obviously the US as well. But some of the real small small ones where there's some real lots of opportunity would be those ones I just mentioned. But Australia is becoming increasingly interesting as well. Um, I think there's so much opportunity in Australia. There's lots of uh, not just sort of on the on the, the battery material side of things, but actually. Um, you know, other companies and solar companies, the wind companies um, that, you know, represent a really good uh, hydrogen companies. Obviously, hydrogen is obviously a huge growing space in, in Australia. There's some lots of interesting uh, things happening there. So, um, um, hydrogen is a funny one to me. I keep hearing about it. I don't even really understand the case for it or even what it is. Have you looked into it yeah. much? Oh, yeah. No, hydrogen's been, hydrogen was like probably the, the story of 2020, I guess. I think people woke up to the opportunity there. Hydrogen really is seen as a bit of a, um, a panacea to help the, um, the world really decarbonize. Um, it, it's there's different forms of hydrogen, but the, the, the form that everyone's really getting excited about is green hydrogen, and that's made from surplus um, surplus um, elect- um, renewable electricity. So it's it's feedstock effect- effectively um, is renewable power so wind or solar or, or like and effectively it's run through an, an electrolyzer machine and out out of that um you get with a load of water i should say but out of that you get um hydrogen now up to now hydrogen has been um it's been made from uh with with natural gas effectively so that's blue hydrogen which still obviously burns um uh, fossil, it's burning fossil fuel it's um um it, it's not great for the environment but green hydrogen um you know so you 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 what you get, you get from the surplus power, you get this resource. With that hydrogen, you can, in theory, you can um, put it in your car, essentially, or down the line, there's going to be, because then you have a fuel cell cars or trucks, but hydrogen is potentially very good for sort of um, heavy duty um, um, trucks and lorries, because um, with a fuel cell, you can turn that hydrogen into electricity, effectively. Um, likewise, um, it, can, it can also provide a solution for heating. So rather than, you know, Europe, um, uh, beholden on natural gas for its heating stock, you can actually use hydrogen um, to, um, to to heat buildings and homes and things like that. So, and also it helps in, in industry farming as well. So, you know, hydrogen can really help sort of uh, decarbonize fertilizers. Um, no, the, industry, the, as far as I understand it, it's not quite cost competitive yet, though. Is that right? That's why. Right. So it's fantastic on paper right now. Um, hydrogen. Everyone's, everyone thinks it's a, a phenomenal solution, but it's it, it's too expensive right now. But saying that, um, with this high natural gas price that we have right now, it's actually become um, um, comparable, even a bit cheaper in certain times, with with so called blue hydrogen. Blue hydrogen is um, uh, hydrogen made from natural gas, and effectively you then store the you store the carbon. Um, so right, so even though it's you, you know you're not still getting that many new sort of green hydrogen projects coming up and, um, off the ground, but actually the, the, the trend is moving in completely in the right direction. We're getting um it's it's um, you know five years so less than that two years ago the conversation was blue hydrogen would come first and then green. Actually now it looks like blue hydrogen uh, is going to be priced out of the market straight away, and you know let's move towards green hydrogen time. But yeah, we still need prices to come down for um, for green hydrogen. That's going to happen by the the, the electrolyzers. 
uh, we need those, that 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 um, that process. That you know, it's still quite an expensive process, and we need those prices to come down. That's well, the, Australia's richest man, Twiggy Forrest, who runs Borders. Twiggy Forrest, brilliant. Started to pump a lot of money in research. He's a real pioneer. Yeah, yeah. He's I mean, he's one of the he's an, an amazing advocate, not just for hydrogen, for the whole clean energy space. He's actually brilliant. Some some of his his talks he does are just yeah, really inspiring. I think you know he's one of the real leaders of the leaders of the whole space. Yeah, I think um, we, we need more leaders like him for sure. Well, it's interesting what you talk about parity there because it occurred to me when you're talking about carbon credits with the companies in Europe, it kind of occurred to me that the logical conclusion of that trend is that you and I will have to buy credits if we drive our car or in some way. That, yeah, well, that's but, possible. It goes to the individual level and they go, you've got a big house. Potentially. Well, yeah, well, so, that's sort of happening. It can happen. Like, I, I, I don't know about Australia, but in Europe, you can, um, when you, you know, go on an aeroplane, you sometimes get the option to offset your. Uh, emissions yeah. with a you can tick a box, can't you? And that, and some of your emissions are offset. And that's that's the airline will go into the voluntary markets and they will buy um, a, a carbon permit equivalent to your uh, emissions for that flight. And that that could be um, you know it can be a forest or something that their forest being built somewhere in the, around the world with lots of trees and they offset it in that way. But that's the voluntary market. It's still a relatively small market, a growing market. But in time, that can be spread out to you know, you know, every retail investor, or every person just going down the street who wants to, either wants to do good or, you know, for, right now it's actually quite a difficult market to get into for retail investors. But soon, I think it's going to be opened up to, to everyone. Really, you know, people might just want to make, you know, might just want to on, off their own bat, just want to either, you know, make money or be just to um, offset their daily emissions. You know, once that happens, I think that and there's a, and there's a vehicle for them to do that. I think, you know, again, that's all that's going to do is drive demand. I mean, that's certainly, it, that's certainly the way it's going. It's interesting with the oil price quite high at the moment. Obviously, here in Australia, <clears throat> well, everywhere, petrol prices are, are rising. So it's um, a cost of living issue where people go, oh, you know, Jesus, it's starting to hit the hip pocket a bit when I fill up the car. But in a way, that mentality has to, will, will either change or be forced to change because, you know, the logical conclusion is like, let's pump more oil and get it cheaper and you can drive as much as you want. and all that sort of stuff. But we're in a different world now, isn't it? Where essentially the governments could come in and say, we want a high oil price to stop you using the damn stuff and to make those it's, other techs competitive. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the higher the, the oil price really, uh, it's, it, it can be just an opportunity for some of these sort of uh, newer technologies. Um, you know, if it becomes so expensive to sort of um, put sort of uh, petrol uh, in your car, then suddenly an electric an electric vehicle becomes um, quite an, an appealing thing to buy, you know. That, so that's that's the way it's that's the way it's going. I, I mean, I have an electric vehicle, and it's it's you know you, have, you pay a higher upfront cost, I, I guess, relative to a, a normal sort of um, internal combustion engine car. But actually, the running costs are really are really cheap. You know, there's it doesn't take doesn't cost much at the moment to to to, to you know fill up um, the car with electricity, fill up you know um, the, the battery. Um, and they run really well. Um, you know, certainly I would never go back as an ongoing basis in terms of the cost. It's incredibly cheap. Yeah, I've got a, a mate with a Tesla actually. We were talking about this the other day, and I saw another post about it. as exactly you say the the upfront cost is higher, but the the lifetime cost is lower. But obviously, most people, uh, especially families, and that they, they often can't jump that bridge if you like to that. Uh, higher price in, from the get-go. So, it, But, yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. What's happening in, with Australian um, EVs at the moment? I know in, in, in Europe, um, 
the last six months or so, we've had a, you know EV sales have been spiking. Has that been replicated in Australia? Have you seen? I actually don't know. As far as I know, um, interestingly enough, I've got a guy that works with Mitsubishi. As far as I know, we struggle to get cars here at all. Like uh, secondhand, yeah. the prices of secondhand cars are, are really high because yeah. we're like the 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 last one that the global manufacturers want to send cars to because <laughs> because of the shortage everywhere. I assume they're going up, but I actually don't know the answer. Um, it'd be interesting to find out. But I was going to comment before that when you talked about Australia and the carbon price and sort of at a political level, the government doesn't push the renewable thing very hard or the climate change stuff. But at a people level, like solar panels are massive here in Australia. Uh, a lot of people uh, will rally for climate change and it's sort of like a disconnect between the, the government and big business, if you like, and what the people are doing. And, you know, part of the trend of vegetarianism is the environmental influence of meat and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it is kind of a thing where I think the, the groundswell from consumers will force the issue rather than the other way around. Yeah, that's right. But just think also what would happen if, you know, if you had a, a, a bit of a more of a political will to tackle some of these issues as well. So I think that's a real opportunity in Australia for Australian investors. I mean, once, once that shift happens, and it surely, surely has to happen at some point, you've got this groundswell of, of popular opinion. Uh, and I'm, I'm simplifying things a bit, but as, when I've been in Australia, I see, I see solar panels everywhere. Um, you know, if, if, with a bit more political leadership, I think... Um, I think your, your clean tech sector could really go to, to great heights. The flip side, of course, is that at both the country level and, you know, various areas, like there are a lot of coal jobs in Australia and they will be eventually wiped out. And obviously those communities are like, well, you know, what about us kind of thing, which is legitimate and needs to be catered for. But like you mentioned Russia earlier. If gas and oil are gone, I mean, that's their entire export industry just <laughs> take it away from them. So it's very disruptive what's going on. Very disruptive. That's that's right. And these changes won't happen overnight, obviously. I mean, people have been forecasting the death of, of oil and, and natural gas for many, many years. It's not going to happen. I mean, uh, straight away. I mean, oil, you might see oil demand go the same way as coal, essentially. You know, it might sort of um, plateau for a long period of time, a relatively long period of time. And then as these, you know, EV penetration sort of really starts to bite in certain markets, then you, you, you might then see a real effect in oil market but essentially oil isn't going to go um anywhere uh in, in a hurry i think um it's a, a longer term picture we might see um some real sort of um, declines in oil demand but um essentially then the, the economy is you know it's still predominantly based on on oil-based goods and, and you know and, and products so i think uh, we're stuck with oil for, for a little while longer but i don't think we're going to be you know i don't think we're going to get oil demand rising um much over the next few years put it that way all right. Um, it's really interesting. Obviously, these are all just touch points to what you're talking about. It's almost like an endless conversation and an endless spread of opportunity for you, isn't it? Like, so do you want to just um, just to sum up? So, for your focus for this year is uh, graphite. And- yeah, graphite, and I just think the the whole space. As I said, we had a we had a, had a tough sort of um, few months started this year. I think um, not not just clean energy stocks. I think. The wider growth side of things, tech side of things has come off. But actually, the fundamentals for the whole space, solar, you know, you were seeing um, um, solar generation go through the roof um, globally. I think, I think this year globally, we'll have more 
um, more solar put on the put on the grid uh, in, in megawatts of so electric generation than than any other uh, energy source. So solar is going through the roof. We're seeing similar sort of winds. Carbon prices are looking really really good. So much happening in hydrogen. Actually, lithium. Um, but these stocks have come off. These stocks have come off sort of 30, 40% over the last six months. And for me, that just represents just a massive opportunity. Um, yeah, it's so funny you said that. Stronger, stronger. This, the last podcast we did with a guy, a tech guy called Matt McCall, and he sort of said, you know, a lot of the tech stocks he looks at are being smashed around and it's opportunity. So when you talk about these long-term trends, they, it is volatile and, uh, you know, things do jump around. So you have to kind of know, uh, are you in for the long haul? Because it, it'll be... Uh, an exciting ride, but it won't be a smooth ride. Not necessarily, yeah. But I mean, decarbonisation. You know, I've seen it said that it's um, it's the biggest peacetime um, investment opportunity. Opportunity, basically, since the Second World War, there's been no other investment opportunity with this scale of numbers uh, that's ever happened. So, I mean, that just shows you that to reach our 2050 targets, we need to do so much. We need to invest so much more money. And um, it's a, you know, just in clean energy alone, it's a hundred trillion dollar uh, opportunity. Um, and I just think we're still at the early stages. I think um, um, we had a great 2020. Prices have come off since 2021. And this really just represents just a massive opportunity right now. If you get in, get in right now, I think over the long term, uh, you should be sitting pretty. I think um, really everything is pointing in the right direction. Beauty. What a great way to sum up. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. And we'll uh, touch base again down the track. And we'll see what's happening with carbon uh, prices, hydrogen. and, and Yeah, let's see what... Exactly. Let's see if I'm correct. But yeah, I think a three-figure carbon later on this year. Let's hope so. Cool. All right, buddy. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Take care. Thank you.